This morning, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, some things that I think will help us to be disciples of Jesus. Christianity is more than just um, having a checklist of doctrinal positions. Those things are important. Jesus came not only um, you know, with a compassionate heart, but he came with a message. And we need to get that message right, correct. Um, doing so will save our soul, Paul told Timothy. So doctrine is terribly important. But at the same time, I can have the right answer to all the questions and not live like Jesus, and that does me no good either. And so what I think we have to work at is a balance between having answers to life's questions and then living and being the kind of person that God would have us to be. I do know that Jesus said uh, that a mark or a badge of discipleship would be that of loving other people. In John chapter 13, uh, verses 34 through 35, Jesus said, I came and, and I brought you a new commandment. Uh, it's not new in that it's always been given to, to love, but it was new in scope and um, depth. And that commandment is to love, to love one another. And he says in verse 35 that by this, by this love that you have for one another, all men will know that you're my disciples. I think it's interesting that God, of all the things that he could have chosen, by the Lord's Supper, all men will know that you're my disciple. He didn't say that, and that is crucial to who we are. We commune around this table and proclaim the, the death of Jesus and his resurrection till he comes again. Um, that's crucial, but Jesus said it's not by that, it's by this, love for each other. In fact, the Bible tells us of an example in Matthew chapter 22 when a lawyer once came to Jesus and he was testing him and he said, tell me, just what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, the greatest commandment is that you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And he said, now go ahead and give you a little more. The second is like it. In that it says you love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What Jesus said, and of course they didn't have the New Testament at that time. They had the Old Testament. And Jesus said, listen, if you will love God and love your neighbor, that will fulfill everything that's written in your Bible. Everything has, to, that's, the, that's at the heart of everything if we will learn to love if we learn to love God and love our neighbor, we'll do all the other particulars that God has given us to do. And so the love of God, the love of Christ, um, how we react to other people with that love has everything to do with being a follower of Jesus. If you want to major in some things, this is something you need to major in. Sometimes we get caught up in the wrong things. We pay attention and get, get hung up on things that aren't all that important. But now this one is. And if you want to take something home with you today and major in this, this is, this is something that you ought to major in. How do I, though, express this love to other people? You know, if I'm supposed to love and love's the greatest commandment, and I have to give it to God and I have to extend it to my fellow man... How can I do that better? 
And the answer, I think, is in the title of this lesson. You have to see it to bereave it. If we want to show compassion and love to people that that need to be loved, you can't keep them at arm's distance. You have to embrace people. You have to love people. You have to include other people in your circle of influence and in your sphere of, of work. And if you try to go through life and just keep everybody kind of far away from you, you'll never learn to love like the Lord wants you to love. And so what I want us to do is I, I want this to be very practical. I want you to see a truth that we'll express in just a little bit. But then on the second hand, I, I want us to see that this is an obligation that we have and what it will do for us if we do what this lesson says. So here's where we'll begin. What's our responsibility when it comes to loving people? And part of loving is showing compassion. You know, you have an interest in other people. And life for a lot of people is just, it, it's very difficult. And within every family, there are things that weigh on your mind and things that concern you and, and pull you down. And, and we all have those times. And I know some may have more than others, but even those who have life easy, relatively speaking, they will have events that kind of shake their world. And how do we reach out to people when those things happen? Well, do we have to? Let me start there. Do we have a responsibility? We have 400 people here, maybe not quite that many today, but we have 400 people in a part of this congregation. Do I have to reach out to you? Is that something that God expects me to do? I think the answer to that is yes. And let's just see. Turn in your Bible to John 11, and we'll look at a few responsibilities that we have. John 11, verse 35, shortest verse in our Bibles. We know it. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. And I know that you know the story and the background behind this, but I want you to see an important point here. Jesus received word that his friend, Lazarus, was at the point of death. He was dying. And the word came to Jesus and said, hurry and get to Lazarus. Because if you don't hurry up, he's going to die. They knew he had the power to heal him. And Jesus told his disciples, we're going to delay. We're not going to go now. And he waited four days before he finally made his way to, to Lazarus. And by that time, Lazarus had died. And up until that point, Jesus had spoken rather matter-of-factly about this. They had talked about and questioned him about the safety of going back into Bethany. And, and Jesus just said, now listen, the reason we are delaying is so that the glory of God might be manifest in Lazarus. And uh, it was a matter of fact. I have a plan. I know what's going to take place. I'm going to go there. He's going to be dead. I'm going to raise him from the dead. People will glorify God. Matter of fact, it's all a part of God's plan. He, without too much, or there's not much in the, any indication that he's distraught as he explains to his disciples what takes place here. But now, when he comes to the side of Lazarus, when he comes there, and Mary and Martha both meet him, they're devastated. They, they've lost their brother. He's dead. 
They have buried him. Jesus has missed the funeral. And they're distraught. And they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, if you had only been here, he would not have died. And they are mourning along with the friends that are gathered with them. And they're all mourning. And it's in that context that the Bible says Jesus wept. It's been said many times, and rightly so, I believe, that Jesus did not weep because Lazarus died. Because he had every intention of raising him. Jesus came there with the purpose. His delay was for the purpose of him to die. And he came to the, with the purpose of raising him from the dead. He's not crying because Lazarus was dead. He's crying because Mary and Martha are devastated. Their hearts are broken. Their brother has died and they're devastated. And Jesus sees their pain and he weeps. That's the love of Christ. Now, Jesus is our example. We're to follow in his footsteps. And what I see about the love of Jesus is that Jesus had compassion on people who were hurting. And if I want to be a disciple of his, I need to develop this skill. And I'll tell you what else I noticed too, and, and we'll get to it in just a little bit and say more about it, but there's something about proximity and compassion. When Jesus was standing way off, he was able to talk about Lazarus and his death as just a part of the agenda. But when he got close, his heart was broken and he cried, he wept. There's something about proximity and sympathy and compassion. They go hand in hand. Look at another passage with me in Matthew chapter 25. This is a passage that Jesus tells us, gives us a picture of the judgment scene. And um, he says, when the Son of Man, verse 31, comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit at the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and, and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it unto one of these, one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Now, here again is a powerful statement. It's a judgment scene. And the difference between heaven and hell, at least the one that is brought out in this text, is compassion. Now, that's not the only thing that will assure that you go to heaven or hell, or, but it is one of those things that makes a difference. There are other essentials, but this is an essential. And what Jesus is talking about here is compassion. I was sick and you took care of me. 
and I was in prison and you came and, and, and visited me. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was sick and you tended to my needs. All of those actions are actions that are motivated out of love and compassion. Jesus said that a person who shows compassion will not be barred from heaven, but those who don't show it won't make it. See, it's not the only difference. It's not the only factor that comes uh, down to it that whether we go, whether we're saved or lost, whether we go to heaven or not, but it is one that divides the flock. It divides the sheep from the goats. And I guess my question to you is this. Do you obey the great commandment, the greatest commandment, love God? Do you obey the second greatest, love your neighbors yourself? We'd like to say yes to all those things, but let's get particulars. Um, have you visited anyone in prison? Have you fed the hungry? Have you clothed the naked? Have you visited the sick? You see, those particulars are things that I might not choose to do, but I feel like I have love for people. Jesus is saying, compassion will take you to these people, and you will reach out to them, and you'll minister to them. And if you don't, he'll say, depart from me. Yeah, we have an obligation when it comes to love and compassion. Turn in your Bible again to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want you to see what Paul says as he writes to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and begin with me in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation... Now get this, he's saying God is a God of all comfort. Man, isn't he a great God? He's a God of all comfort. He comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts you not just to ease your pain but so that you will in turn reach out to others and help them in their pain. It's not like you're the deposit of all of God's love and comfort and you just hold it to yourself. He's giving this to you that you might share it and spread it abroad to others. And then look at what he says in verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, you think it was easy to be an apostle of Jesus, Paul's saying? You don't think we have trouble right now in our lives? The sufferings of Christ abound in us. Man, we're put to death, we're persecuted, we're stoned, we're run out of towns. Man, there's no one who suffers like we do. But just as our suffering abounds, he said, so our consolation also abounds in Christ. As bad as you may suffer, and there is far greater joy... No matter what price you pay, the reward is far greater. And that's what Paul's saying. So when you see people who are hurting, who need help, Paul says, God expects you to share his comfort with them. 
to get involved in their life. So my point is we do have a responsibility. Now, here's the practical part. I think we already knew those things. I think we already knew that we need to reach out to people and love them and, and show compassion and empathy to them. But here's, here's the kicker. How do I do that? How can I do that well? Because haven't we all been in a situation where we just don't know what to say, what to do, how to reach out? Some tragic event has happened and we feel so, so wholly inadequate. What am I going to say? What, what do I do? I, I mean, I don't know how to act. I don't even know what to... And, and so what we end up doing is nothing. You know, we think about a person, but we don't do anything because we don't know what to do. Well, let's give some thought to this concept. And it, it's the, this phenomenon of proximity and sympathy. I really believe that the closer you get to a person who is suffering, the more you'll be affected by their suffering. And that'll do two things. It's not just, it's not just a, a, you know, a, an intriguing phenomenon that the closer you are, the, the more you feel. It has practical ramifications. It carries with it a challenge. Because the more the closer you get, your presence will not only communicate to that person that you care, but it will make you care more. I really believe that's the case. Have you picked up the newspaper? Maybe you did this this morning. You pick up the newspaper, you look at the obituaries. You can read that someone has passed away. And you might not shed a tear. But go to the funeral home and sit with those families who have lost the person you read about and you'll be touched and you'll be moved to tears. You hear that somebody's sick and in the hospital and we say prayers for them and oftentimes we might feel very little connection emotionally. Walk through that hospital door and sit down by the bed and visit just a little bit with the family and it'll take on all new meaning. You know, when, when Michael was just a little boy, uh, my sister's dog bit him in the nose and took a, a, just all the way across. I mean, we knew he, he had to have stitches. So we went to the hospital. We were up in, uh, at my parents' house. And so we're sitting in the waiting room. And then it came time. They came and got him. And, and they were going to have to do stitches on his nose. And so Kim and I had this little dialogue about who had to go in with him. You know, neither one of us wanted to, um, you know, because it's just more intense if you had to be there with him. And uh, so I lost and, I, you know, I went in with him and, um, you know, but now Kim is just on the other side of the, she's just 30 feet away, a wall between us, but she found it easier and I would have too, to be over there and not know than to be there and see and know made it harder. You understand what I'm talking about. I, I, I believe you do. The more you get involved, the closer you get. When you witness it for yourself, you're more likely to care more. 
I can hear of people who pass away and, and you know, you say, ah, oh, what, what a shame. That's a shame. But when you stand at the head of a casket while the family grieves as they view that loved one for the last time, that's a whole different ballgame. That, that takes on new meaning. And so my point is this. I think we empathize more when we witness in other people pain and suffering. And so what that communicates to me is I need to quit holding people at arm's length. This is not a church of 400 people that all stay at arm's length. This is a church, a body of believers that need to get involved in each, other, in each other's lives. I need to get up and when I read or hear or know of something, I need to make action that brings me in the direction of that person and not just sit back and stand and, and silently say my prayers without any connection. Listen, your connection will communicate to that person who's suffering that you do love them. They need to know that. But not only will it communicate that, it will also increase your concern for them. And that's what I need to motivate me to do what God calls me to do, to be compassionate. I'm not going to, well, I am going to single out. You know, Stanley and Betty go to more funerals than anybody on earth. I mean, if you look for if if you're looking for Stanley and Betty, Betty through the week, just go over to Crow or Hatcher and Sadler, and you'll find them. Um, they visit everybody in a funeral uh, or in the funeral home. That does, like I said, it does two things. It communicates to those people that they love them, but it also increases their concern and interest in the lives of those people. See, it's kind of that snowball effect, and it just gets bigger and bigger. We need to be like that. We need to have greater connection with people, not only for their benefit, but for our own. And when you reach out and you show compassion to people, when you get close to people, they're going to understand they're loved. And they need to feel that. And that's what God calls us to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You comfort other people with the comfort of God. You need to do that. And you'll find yourself that when you do that, you yourself will have a greater interest. And your compassion and your love will grow because of your proximity. Let's be disciples of Christ. Let us be known by others, by our love. People ought to look at this church body and say, man, now those folks are disciples of Jesus because they love each other. I believe that's true. But I'll tell you how we can do it even better. Don't stay at arm's length. Get involved. Get close to the lives of people and that will reassure them that they are loved. And it also will increase your interest and your love and your compassion for those who are suffering. If you're not a part of the family of God, what better time to say, I want to be a part of a family like that. I'm tired of going it alone. I'd love to be a part of a family where... 
people love and care for you unconditionally. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a child of God, a member of the family of God. If you've never put on Christ in baptism, why don't you decide this morning, I'm going to turn from my sins, I'm going to be baptized, and God will do what he promised. He'll wash away my sins, and then I'm going to start to live for him. If you haven't done that, do that this morning. If you're a child of God already, but there's sin in your life and you need that sin forgiven, confess it. And as John says, he will be faithful and just to forgive you. If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.